Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the New Books Network Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. I'm Mark McCurgo, and I'm one of the hosts of the channel, and where we explore all kinds of interesting new books to do with entrepreneurship, leadership, startups, and getting things done in a good way in the modern world. And I'm very excited today to be joined by Carter Phipps, who's one of the authors of Conscious Leadership, Elevating Humanity Through Business, which is out now, uh, published by uh, Penguin, I think. Yes. So, Carter, hello and welcome, and it's lovely to have you with us. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here, and uh, yeah, look forward to the conversation. So, Carter, this book is uh, Conscious Leadership. Tell me, how did you come to be involved in writing it? Yeah, so good question. It's uh we have the three authors of the book, which is not uh, you know sometimes unusual to have that many authors, and and uh, so uh, John Mackey, who's the uh, founder of Whole Foods Market, uh, the the grocery store chain that's very natural foods, really was a pioneer in the natural foods and organic uh, foods revolution in in the states, and I think there's some in 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 England as well. I don't know if it's reached up to Scotland yet. I'm not sure if Whole Foods is up there. but uh, They don't do a lot of whole food in Scotland. It's mostly fried and fatty. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, when, my, when my other book came out in uh, Evolutionaries, was my first book. It came out in 2012. And uh, John Mackey uh, uh, wrote about it and mentioned it in, in the Wall Street Journal. He had mentioned that he had read it and liked it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, here's this kind of uh, you know CEO and founder, entrepreneur sort of in, in the industry who's uh, who mentioned the book. And so I we happened to meet each other a few years later, or about a year later, I think we met each other, and we became friends. And uh, the other the other author, Steve McIntosh, and I had been had been work colleagues for a while. We had founded uh, a nonprofit. Uh, to uh, it's a whole nother issue I won't get into right now, but to deal with uh, the political challenges in America, and John became involved with that and became on the board of that, and we just developed a friendship. And over time, we thought we should, we should, we have a common interest. We should write a book together. And John had written a book that had become quite big called Conscious Capitalism, and about how we can elevate capitalism, how we can elevate that capitalism. It gets such a bad name today, and the, his idea was no. We need to we need to you know protect the baby and not throw it out with the bathwater. We need to we need to improve it. We need to upgrade it. But fundamentally, this is a, you know business and markets and capitalism can be very positive force for humanity. But here's how we can improve it. Here's how we can make it better. Let's not let's not pretend that we can get rid of it. So in some way, that, that was quite a big book. And so we decided to write a book on leadership that was really a sequel to that book. And uh, and really express some of the same sentiments, but more from the perspective of how we can be great leaders of businesses. How do we enact a more conscious capitalism or more conscious way of doing business at the level of leadership? You know, at the level of individuals, individuals of organizations, individuals that are leading startups, entrepreneurs, uh, and really even outside of business. You know, how, what are the what are the kind of values and principles that we can enact as individuals in whatever organization we're part of? You know, in our communities. So that was that was a that was a bit the foundation of the book. Yeah, and uh, we'll get to talking about that. I loved the way in which you say it's not just about leadership in a corporation. It can be leadership in your family or yeah. in your relationships or in absolutely where in your community or wherever it is. 
So that's yeah. great. So now the book is called Conscious Leadership. And um, of course, it's, a, as you mentioned, an echo to this um, previous book of John Mackey's Conscious Capitalism. Now, let's not talk about conscious for a while. Because I've got a background in science. And in, and in, in science, the opposite of conscious is unconscious. Right. which means you're lying on the floor, comatose with nothing going on. <laughs> so I, I presume you're not trying, simply talking about leaders who can walk and talk and, and move around. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about this conscious thing. Uh, yeah, like, sure, absolutely. Well, the, the idea of that is that in, in some, in some uh, foundational way, you know, I, you know we, any of us, there, there are great leaders in the world, and then there have been great leaders in history, right? And, you know, you and I may have certain leadership talents that we grew up with and that we just have naturally and we can and, you know, that's that's who we are and that's who you are. And, and, and there are there are leaders out there that are natural, that don't have to that don't have to take up the challenge of their own development to be great leaders. So but for the rest of us, for most of us, for maybe, you know, we, we can't depend upon our upbringing or our genetics or whatever it is. To, to be great leaders, we actually need to take up the challenge of our own development to improve, to develop, to evolve as individuals. We need to consciously take up that challenge. We have to be very intentional about it. We have to be very directive about it. We have to really self-reflect and become more self-aware. So we have to take up the challenge of becoming better leaders. And so that's where the conscious really comes in. It's like that's something that individuals really have to and need to and have the opportunity to be be uh to be very directive and intentional about and so that's what conscious leadership means it means just don't just depend on whatever 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 gifts you've been given let's uh there's an opportunity as adults i mean look this is something we've you know in in human history we haven't you know we're living longer now uh we haven't always had the knowledge or uh space and time or lifespan to appreciate how much we can change and develop as adults, you know, and so, and for leaders, even more so, you know, it's like you, the, the kinds of leaders we can be at 40 and 50 or 60 are very different potentially than the kinds of leaders we will be at 25 or 30, you know? So, but to do that, you know, you need to engage with the, the self-development process and that's something that takes effort. It takes intention. And, and so the book was really to help people do that in all kinds of ways, ways of thinking, ways of practicing, Ways of behaving, ways of uh, of expanding our 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 sort of our mental frameworks as well. Okay, so this conscious is about thinking about it and and being more aware of what we're doing as leaders and yes, be, being more uh, uh, focused on on how we're we doing that. What kind of things are we drawing on? What kind of direction are we moving in? How are we engaging with other people uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting thought because I think a lot of people have in the past relied on, you know, the the leadership style that they got dealt at the beginning. Or exactly. <laughs> you want to exactly, you and that may be fine, that. but it can improve. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, and also, I think things are changing. I'm sure they're changing in expectations of leaders as well. I mean, that I is think true. If I if I remember back, you know, some decades now, people used to say things like, oh, it's not personal, it's just business, when they shafted right. you for something <laughs> or other. Exactly. I, I, always, I always objected to that very strongly myself, but it seemed okay at some point to be able to say that. 
And, uh, and uh, I was always a bit baffled, but I, it seems to me that what you're doing is kind of very, very definitely moving away from that sort of thinking into a rather broader aspects of yeah. what does it mean to lead in, in, in the world and uh, uh, with humanity. Yeah, I, I, that's absolutely true. And I think like what you're saying is true. The demands on leaders are at all levels in politics, in government, in business, in organizations, in communities are different today than they were. The expectations are greater. Um, and uh, it's not just a supply thing. It's a demand thing. You know, I said you, you sometimes the, the kind of like uh, cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, social intelligence you have to have, you know, to do sometimes there's incredible really demands to, to do that. And of course, none of us are going to fulfill all of those demands perfectly or anything like that. But we have to engage our own development on multiple levels, right? It's not enough to be a cognitive superstar, or it's not enough to just be a highly kind of sensitive, caring person. It's not enough to be, you have to, you have to, you have to really uh, engage multiple lines of development to become the leaders that can be, uh, if you really want to, to, to meet those demands, because there are people expect a lot of leaders today, and especially business leaders. You know, I think that's true. I mean, political leaders too. I wish, Sometimes I wish we could demand more of our political leaders. <laughs> but anyway, I made no uh, comment about that. But yes, I, I absolutely <laughs> for sure, for sure. Now, what my my very first publisher, he always asked me two questions, which I like to ask people when we're talking about books. The first question he always asked was, "Who's the book for?" So, who is this book for, Carter? Well, it, it's for it's for it's for business leaders. Uh, for you know, that's what elevating humanity through business is for entrepreneurs. It's for it, it's for uh, it, it's for executives. It's for CEOs. It's for people who are in that world and uh, and know they need to find ways to to become better leaders and to inspire their teams and to be better. Uh, to better work with all kinds of all, all kinds of people, and also who are in that world and feel that there are opportunities in business to have an impact and make a difference. And that maybe that was the, maybe that was the way they chose to express their own life energy in the business world, but they don't necessarily feel like they're having the kind of purpose and impact and, and on the world or on people around them that they want to, you know, it's like, uh, but, but business can be a great forum for having a, uh, a powerful impact. And so it's kind of for those people who want to upgrade all of that and want to kind of get in touch with, with the higher potential of, of business, you know, it's like, so, so it's really for that. Now it can, it, the leadership message in the book actually speaks way beyond that, but you know, you gotta be focused about this thing. So it's about business. It's, it's, it's marketed to business, but, uh, I hope that anyone out there who's in another field, fundamentally, it's about leadership full stop. So I can see how very much how uh, somebody who's running a startup or, or perhaps involved in leading an organization would grab this book. How about if I'm just a, if I'm a manager, I'm a project team leader or something, I'm kind of in the, in the hierarchy of an organization. Is the book going to speak to me? Yes, it should. It absolutely should. And there are some messages in it that maybe are more, uh, more specific to entrepreneurs or to people who are in startups. There's no doubt, but there's also a lot about like how you work with team, like how you work with teams. And, and that, that speaks much more to people, exactly what you're saying, you know, and a lot of the examples are from, from businesses that are from big companies. And a lot, some of the examples are from Whole Foods market and that, you know, that's a, 15 billion dollar company or now it's Amazon owns it but 
But, uh, and so those, absolutely, it speaks to a lot of those people at different layers and different levels of an organization and how they kind of, how they kind of ha- have an impact and how to, how to think about, you know, how to, how to get ourselves out of the day to day, just the grind of the day to day and start to think about, and start to think about what we're doing in a more powerful framework and a more interesting framework. And I think, you know, I think one of the reasons why conscious capitalism was made such a hit at the time, why it was so popular. It was like, oh, I think there was this kind of recognition that we need to think, we need to, we need to, you know, we need to get business outside of the merely transactional and start thinking about how business can be a win. You know, we have this, we have this uh, principle in there called win, 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 how business can be a win for business, but also how it can be a win for the communities around the business and a, and a great business a business that's fulfilling its mission, fulfilling its purpose, it should it should uplift not just the uh, not just the investors and shareholders, not just the executives and CEO, not just the employees. It should have an uplifting impact on the employees of the business, but it should have this impact on the communities around it. And that's part of a more conscious way of leading, a more conscious way of business. That you're that all of the various stakeholders in the business. Are ha- it's having a positive, uplifting effect on. And for us to get into that mindset, you know, are we thinking about those stakeholders? Are we thinking about in the how we're going about our leadership on a day to day? Who are the stakeholders in our little com- our communities? Our communities inside the business, our communities outside the business. Are we thinking about the the impact we're having on all, all those? And are we trying to kind of craft solutions and craft ways of going about this that are win win win? And working with John, you know, you really see he does that in his own life. And I think leaders can do that in in business and have a have a big impact. And we need that. We need that. We need people because we need uh, you know. There's so much negativity out there about about the business community, and some of that's legitimate and some of it's not. But but part of the way you respond to that is that the institutions themselves need to improve. And the, in a, in a in a small way, I hope the books like this help the institution of business improve itself. Oh, it was interesting. You were talking a few minutes ago about the kind of demand side uh, of, of yeah. leadership. And I've seen this too. Uh, pe- one of the things we've seen in the last few years is people move jobs much quicker than they used to 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, right. It's so, true, right. Uh, they, and, and if they're not feeling that they're contributing and being appreciated and playing a part, they'll walk. They're, in a way, I think they, they're out of there. There's somebody else who will take them if they're any good, particularly. Whereas in in back in the day, people used to think, "Oh, well, you know, I can do this job. It's all right. You know, maybe I'll get a pension at the end of it." And and they kind of stuck at it, even if even if it wasn't very fulfilling. But I think people have kind of chucked that out now for the large part. Many more people want to do something fulfilling with their lives, as well as make a living, support their family, uh, and. Uh, and maybe have the space to do other things, you know, whatever it is they like, they love to do. There's you know, a hunger so. for, for that kind of meaning. I think, you know, there's a hunger for that kind of purpose, that kind of meaning. And I think we're trying to kind of speak to that, you know, and, and you're right. And, and so on one hand, there's this kind of higher purpose of, of, of thinking about leadership like this. And, but on the other hand, there's just the, the practical nature of that. If you, if you aren't able 
to uh, to participate and deliver that for the for your teams and all and be part of that yourself. And if you aren't able to swim in that water, people are going to you're not going to be able to retain the best people. You're not going to be able to, you know, to to have the impact that that you want. And you're going to find yourself not succeeding. And even, you know, because I mean, one of the beautiful things about business, that one of the things in any organization is that to succeed, the team has to succeed. The organization has to succeed. It's not a solo thing. You know, it's like some things in life are about how you do. You know, how you succeed. But you need teams in in business as much as anything, and probably more than other things. You need teams around you to succeed. So you got to have great talent, and you got to have people who are committed, and you got to have people who feel fulfilled at least to some degree in their work. And so that sometimes it just on a very practical level, we have to think about what that means, how we do that. So the other question my first publisher asked me after he'd asked me, who's the book for? His second question was always, and what does it do for them? And uh, so let me ask you that other bold question here, Carter. What does this book do for these people who are, <laughs> who are going to buy it and they're hungry to, to learn to be more conscious leaders in the modern world? Well, in some ways, I think we've we've been speaking about some of that. I feel like what it does for people is it gives them, you know, ways of thinking, ways of practicing, practical, very practical ways of way things to do, you know, and and mental and emotional frameworks that can get them out of their usual habits and and ways of being that will get them in in a kind of a new way of thinking about their own leadership journey. You know, and not only a new way of thinking about it, but also a new way, but steps to take along that journey. Like I can do this. I can do this practice throughout the book. We have practices. We have way things, specific things you can do. But sometimes it's easy. There's lots of practices out there. And so we, we definitely have a lot of practices that people can employ. And I'm proud of that. I'm glad we have that. But sometimes I think people underestimate like you, part of it is how we see that journey. It's the framework in which we're thinking about it. And I, I think that one of the things this book does more, as, more than anything is gives people new frameworks that will inspire them to, to walk on that path, you know, and that will, that will get them out of their usual, usual kind of mental and cognitive and emotional frameworks. And, uh, oh, I can think about innovation that way. Oh, I can think about, you know, one chapter we have called Lead with Love. It's about how you lead with love in business. And it gives you examples of, leaders and who are doing that, you know, and that's an entirely different way of thinking about the way we walk through the business world that most people are going to talk about, you know, but I feel like if someone reads that chapter, they're going to say, oh my God, maybe I can, maybe I can approach this in a very different way than I previously I thought about it. It kind of, it changes their sort of mental and cognitive framework about how they're thinking about what they're doing every day. Um, so that's a big part of the book. I feel it's like it opens up your worldview. Excellent. So the book itself is in three kind of main parts, isn't it? And the first part is about vision and virtue. And this is always a great place to start. And of course, starting there is not a new idea in itself. Yeah. But it seems to me that you're, you're kind of being a bit more upfront and a bit more in your face and a bit more kind of grabbing it by the throat than some of previous people who've tackled this kind of Kind of topic. So, uh, talk a bit about this idea of vision and virtue and uh, and and purpose, uh, which I yeah. think used to be in the, back in the day used to be a kind of side effect of of a business, perhaps if it was thought of at all. 
Yeah. Um, but but uh, but it's kind of coming closer and closer and closer. I think so. So what are you what are you bringing to that that uh, that will get people? It's is a very good question. It? God, you know, there's been so many books about purpose, and and uh, so sometimes when you're writing about purpose, you think, well, am I going to say that's different than all these other people have said? You know, so. But I, I think we we tackled it and, you know, try these are kind of high, high, you know, ideals and ideas, vision and virtue. That's pretty high, highfalutin in a way. Um, but I think one of the things that we, you know, we, we talk about how great, great, we talk about both, both individual purpose and organizational purpose. And of course, the magic happens when a, when a, when a emerging higher individual purpose meets an organization or entrepreneurial idea and the two come together in a very powerful way, right? So for John Mackey, he began to, you know, he moved in with a vegetarian collective in Austin, Texas in the 70s and began to get really interested in natural foods and the organic foods movement and and then suddenly thought, hey, we should start to sell this. And he created, and so his higher purpose began to kind of form itself into the context of a business, you know, and you can see that with lots of entrepreneurs, whether it's a company like Patagonia, I talk about Nike in, in the book. And, you know, it's like the, the oper- the, their own emerging purpose of a, of a young entrepreneur meets this idea of an organization. And so, but the point we make is that whether or not, however you've thought about purpose, you know, all business, you know, business is itself a sort of, a, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a value creating activity. You know, I create something of value that you buy. There's a transaction in that. And the reason you buy it is because you see value in it, right? So embedded in that value creating activity is no matter how transactional it may seem, no matter how sort of base and transactional we sometimes think of business, you know, right? Exactly. That the, embedded in that value creating activity is, is a higher purpose of, of, a, of, a, of a business. And so if you feel like you can't find your purpose or higher purpose of your, of your own business, you have to look at how you create value for other people. Why do you do what you do? And how does that value creating activity, you know, what is, and we talk about different businesses, you know, we talk about, you know, Google is not just, uh, they're not just, um, you know, uh, they're not just ha- having a search engine. They're trying to, you know, and they're, to, they're organize the world's information. They're trying to make information more accessible to you. There's a purpose in that. There's a higher, there's a higher purpose. Now we can talk about the, you know, the tech industry and other problems with it or whatever, but in that activity is the potential for a higher purpose. And the more you get connected with whatever the higher purpose, that, that essential value creating activity of a, of your business and your organization. And the more you are true to that and the more you, the more you keep that as the, as a core idea that you follow, the more powerful the business will be. You know, uh, people talk about Zappos, right? And Tony Shea, sorry, the founder of Zappos died recently. Sorry to see that. But what made Zappos so special in the early days was, was exactly what he, the, his book, when he wrote about it was delivering happiness, right? There was a, there was a purpose in their customer service. It was a, there's a higher purpose about, we're not just going to have a transaction with you. We're going to, we're going to deliver to you a kind of the happiness of a, of a, of this kind of incredibly satisfying customer journey. But if the moment they lose touch with that, then they're just another, they're just another selling, they're just selling shoes online and there's just another, another company. But the, when that purpose comes alive, then the quality, their, their own value creating, that value creating activity comes alive and people feel it. People feel on the other side. So when, I, when you walk into a Whole Foods, right, uh, you feel a company whose ethos 
is all about health and natural foods and organic foods. And that's, that's the context in which you feel. Now they sell all kinds of different foods, but that's the essential thing. And if they lose track of that, then they're just another, another, another grocery store. They, they've lost their, they've lost that, they, they've lost track of what animates the company. So purpose, there's an individual level purpose, but also company level purpose. So purpose is all about fulfilling that, you know, not losing touch with that. The moment companies lose touch with that, then like what, you know, they, they, they begin to often fade in, in the marketplace as well. And one of the things I really enjoyed about the book was somewhere, I think you're talking about Zappos and you're saying about all this higher purpose stuff yeah. uh, and how they should stay in touch with that. But you also then say very sensibly, but by the way, they've got to be very good at selling shoes as well. You've got to sell a whole bunch of shoes for it to make yeah. any sense. <laughs> well, th- that's a beautiful, I mean, I, I think this is where I, I really, I, you know, I enjoyed writing that chapter because I really wanted to make this point, you know, people think, well, you know, business, it's just about making money. Well, you know, uh, it, it, as we make the point, it, making money is a huge part of it, but it's not just about that, but, it, but, but there's a beauty to that too. And here's the beauty part of that, <laughs> which is that I have to make money as a business. I have to, I, I'm self-funding. The, the business is self-funding. They're not like nonprofits. I'm not going out from other people and giving money, right? So businesses are self-funding. You have to make money. But the beautiful thing about that is that means I have to stay in touch with the customer. I have to actually create value for you. If, if I'm in a nonprofit, I worked in nonprofits for a while, there's something beautiful about nonprofits too because you can just focus on your higher purpose and, you know, and, and to the exclusion of, any, of anyone else. And, and that can be a really beautiful thing, but you can also kind of lose touch in that. But with a business, you have to be a kind of what I call it, like a pace car. You know, you, ha- you can't be too far ahead of people. You, you have to be, you're in a relationship with your customers and your clients, right, as a business. So you're in a very direct relationship. You can't, you, can't, you know, float off into some uh, and, and be into some higher purpose. That's the beauty and the danger of a nonprofit. With a business, you have to be in relationship to people. You can't get too far ahead of them. You know, you can't you can't do things that they don't care about. So the business is very connected to culture. It's very connected to people. And I think that's the rather than seeing that as just a base transactional thing, I think we should see that as a positive thing because then you can ha- you're in dialogue. And if you're connected to your higher purpose at the same time, that's a very powerful dialogue. You know, does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that makes, makes wonderful sense. And that really makes sense of these two kind of levels that uh, you're talking about with the purpose and the kind of yeah. functionality as well. Exactly. It, it's that dynamic, business is a dynamic relationship between that polarity, really. I mean, that's, that's where if you get too lost in just the base transactional nature of the business, then you've lost touch with what animates the business, you know, and you've lost touch with leading the way and deliver. But if you get too lost in your higher purpose and you just, and you'll lose touch with your customers and your clients, you'll do the same. So that business in an ideal way, it forces you to hold those two worlds together. That's such a great framework, Carter. I'm just reminded this is not in your book, but you might be interested to hear it. The story of ICI, Imperial Chemical Industries, which was used to be the biggest company in the world back in the 1950s. And their their kind of mission was better industry through chemistry, really. They're a chemical company. Right. And uh, they were amazingly successful. They were across the whole world, across the whole British Empire, um, vast organization. And then in the 1990s, they got a new CEO and he said, ah, chemistry, chemistry, it's all old hat that. Let's, let's become a money-making company. Right. 
And that's because our job is to create shareholder value. That's yeah. our mission now. And within 10 years, the whole company was gone. Amazing. Because they Amazing. sold off division after division after division. And in the end, and started new things that didn't go anywhere. And in the end, they were only left with a paint company, which they sold to Axo Nobel. And they disappeared in 10 years. The biggest company in the world to nothing in 10 years. That's because amazing. they lost track of their purpose, I think, which was better industry through chemistry. And said, oh, who cares about that? Let's just make money. And, and actually making money is a very bad reason to be in business, fundamentally. Because Ex you haven't got exactly. any money. Where's the magic in that? Where's the thing that's going to connect you with your, your people and your, your customers and your innovations with that? We need, businesses need to make money to survive. But if the purpose of a business becomes making money, then you've lost touch with whatever animates that business. And it's not, and the chances of it being successful in the long run, I think, go way down. And you see that all the time. It's like people, they, they lose track of that. There, a great example in the U.S. of, of that was, was Home Depot. My, my, uh, my wife is a, is a, works as a collaborative writer, and she works with people who write books. And one of the people she worked with is Arthur Blank, who was the founder of a, of a huge company called Home Depot. But it started in, the, in I believe, the, the 70s and, and 80s. And it grew into this huge, incredibly successful company. And then, then he and his, the founder had left in the late 90s. And they brought in a, a sort of a GE executive who did the same thing. He said, okay, we're just going to like focus on the, making this financially lean and mean, you know. And, but they lost touch with the incredible quality of what Home Depot was doing, the customer service and all these kind of higher purpose to the business. And within about seven or eight years, the company completely lost, had crashed and had lost track of its mission. And he basically kind of ran it into the ground and they had to bring someone else in who, who reanimated the purpose. And over the last 15 years, the, the business has been incredibly successful. But for that period, you really lost track of, uh, it's like they lost track of the core mission in this goal to make financial success. And, uh, and they, they lost, they, you know, they fell on one side of that polarity and it just it destroyed, the, it destroyed the value of the business. Now, Businesses need to make money, but if that becomes the, that's not the goal you aim at. Yeah. That's a yeah. byproduct of the goal you aim at, right? That's the thing. And, and people lose track of that all the time. And, and that's, it's such an important, it's subtle, it, 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 but it's so true. Just, uh, just to mention an, uh, another book, which uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you might also enjoy, Obliquity by John Kay, mm. which is about how some things are better approached sideways than directly. Exactly. And uh, he, he says that pro, you know, profits and happiness are two things that are better approached sideways than directly. They're, they're, they're the side effect of something else rather yeah. than something to be set as number one performance indicator. And I think it's, and so it's, a, it's a great book. It's a, it's a yeah. very, and it's such an important idea. And sometimes I think in the sort of Harvard MBA world uh, that we used to live in anyway, where it's all about targets and goals and yeah, execution. KPIs. People think that you can treat anything in that kind of, instead of goal, turn the handles and uh, make progress and you'll get there. That the, You can treat happiness or um, higher purposes like that. And I don't think you can. I think that yeah. they... They better they come better with this way that you're talking about, which is it's yeah. you know a, a money making business is a side effect of uh, a successful business that's engaging with its customers in a good way and, and yeah. growing itself. Yeah, yeah, serving its stakeholders and shareholders are one stakeholder, but they're 
only there were only one stakeholder. There are other stakeholders are two, right? You know, are important as well. And so you have to have this dynamic relationship with it all. And you can't, you know, this is not, you can't lose track of finances. You can't lose track of making money. That's an important part of it. And no one's saying it's not, but it's so, it's so important. I love the point of like, you know, it's a byproduct. You don't approach it directly. There's this in the, in the old, I think it was, uh, is it the old, um, uh, the, 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 some of the great estates of Britain, as you, as you come in the, the estates, right. You, the, the, uh, uh, different than I think the French estates, I can't, I don't know the history of architecture, but, but like in some, in some estates you come in, you go directly to the main house, but in a lot of the British estates, you come in and you, you kind of wind around, you never approach the manor house directly. You approach it, oblique, I guess, obliquely or something, you know? And so you yeah, never, right. you never approach it directly. It all of a sudden it appears there. <laughs> all of a know? sudden it appears, right? That's the whole, <laughs> exactly. And, the, and, and so, the, the landscape architects who did that were very, aware of the importance of that first moment that you kind of exactly. work your way through the woods and everything. And then finally you see the thing and this, right. uh, how you engineer that was always really uh, one of the top things that those people used to. I love that. That's it's a great, it's a it's a wonderful <laughs> metaphor for like also how profits appear because you're not pursuing them directly. You're pursuing other things that are more important and they will appear and they'll be important. They're important. But, but. Let's talk about stakeholders for a minute then. Um, seems to me that the range of stakeholders is getting bigger. Um, you know, back in the day, well, we had shareholders. And then, and then we started to think about stakeholders. And the list of stakeholders was often uh, employees, maybe, customers, yeah, maybe, right. suppliers, maybe. That was kind of, that was the list of stakeholders. And now the list of stakeholders is expanding. So how are uh, you seeing that? Uh, that oh, it's aspect? so true. I think you're absolutely right. And it continues to expand. And and uh, you're right. I think it was employees, customers, you know, not shareholders. If you're if you're a public company or a private company with investors, um, and you know, at a certain point, I think we realize, you know, communities uh, obviously are stakeholders around the communities, and and then the, you know the environment, the you know the ecological impacts of the business became an important stakeholder at a certain point, and it's something that businesses have to be concerned about. And then, I mean, it continues to expand. I mean, in the way we serve com communities, um, you know, I, I think, you know, businesses can't do everything. They can't, you can't have the leaders of business just do, just, you know, spend all day uh, cultivating stakeholders, obviously, you know. Uh, I mean, but, um, but that needs to be in the mindset of how we think about businesses. I mean, even today with the, all the diversity and inclusion, work that people are doing that becomes another kind of stakeholder of the business that a business has to be aware of how they're being perceived in the communities, how that issue is being perceived. So there's a, I agree. I think as our, you know, our demands of business are increasing and uh, you know, we can't just put all the expectations of society on business and say, okay, you do it. You know, obviously that's, that doesn't work either. <laughs> business also has to deliver on its value. It can't get too lost in, you know, all these other things, but, but it's for leaders. It's the framework of seeing, of understanding that you have all these stakeholders. So as you make decisions, whether it's explicitly in the front of your mind or it's just in the back of your mind, you know, uh, it's still there. And I think understanding that these are critical stakeholders. And I find it fascinating because you see, you see businesses that are really good at one stakeholder, but they're really not good at the others, you know, or really good at two, but they're not good at the others. You know, it's like, and, and that can be a powerful thing when a business is really good at, at serving the customer or some businesses are really good at taking care of their employees. 
but they're not so good at serving the customer. Or, you know, they're, and, and I think any business at any time in the life cycle can be, or maybe a business is just really good with the community around them, but they're kind of slowly failing as a business, you know? Uh, you know, so it's, so in, at any, in the life cycle of a business, we can naturally have different strengths, but we all, but you need to be conscious of that and aware of like, okay, we have this great strength. We are really, we take care of our employees in a beautiful way, but that's not going to be good enough over time. We also have to take care of our customers or we also have to take care of our shareholders. You know, So you just, it, it's natural for businesses to have certain strengths, but to be aware of those and very conscious about them is important. And not everyone in a category is going to be the same either. Um, uh, so, so not all, some, some people are looking for a, a, a job in which they can give their heart and soul and other people, you know, would value more flexibility about how often do I have to come to work? How much choice do I have over, over how many shifts I do or, or whatever. And that suits them. And, um, sometimes people get very hung up on everyone should want one thing or the other, but actually there are loads of different people out there wanting loads of different things. And probably there needs to be loads of different ways of thinking about work and employment and an organization to, to help those people do the thing they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think as we get more sophisticated about just people and, 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 and as businesses, well, that's comes to serving your employees or your team members as stakeholders. I think, you know, it's like, I, I think there's a kind of, um, understanding there's different pathways through an organization that can all be satisfying and self-actualizing, but can be very different. You know, mm-hmm. maybe I'm going to come in the organization, I'm going to go up the hierarchy of the organization or, 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 you know, one increasing roles of power, but someone else comes in and they want to do a good job and that's it. And they want to go home at five and that's it. And that's fine too. So it's like, you know, understanding, not trying to put everyone into similar boxes, you know, understanding, you know, making space for all those various ways of self-actualizing within the context of the company. One of the things we seem to be seeing, at least here in the UK where I am, uh, maybe where you are too, is the rise of a lot of jobs that are, you know, somewhat mechanical and delivery drivers, for example, who kind of have to go around with loads of packages and they only have so many hours to do them. And there doesn't seem to be much in the way of progression possibility. Yeah. Apart after that. And, um, that's that's why I wouldn't want to do that sort of job myself. But you yeah. know, a lot of people are not in a position of being able to choose, I think. Yeah, right. So what that's do true. you think about this, this? the rise of these, we call them precariat jobs sometimes, where it's all, you know, clinging on by your fingertips on, on very modest um, pay, but without, potentially without a sort of a way to go to... Yeah, it's it's a good question. It's a uh, you know, as a society, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with this in a way that, um, in a way that sort of dignifies the work and 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 allows people to make the kinds of money where they can have a life. You know, and uh, one of the the principles of conscious capitalism I love is like is is and I know this can't apply to the gig economy in all kinds of ways, but but it's a great principle, which is no dead end jobs. You know, (laughs) it's like there's always pathways that someone can move forward, you know, and move in, in the company. There are always new things for them to do, ways they can move forward, ways they can make more money, you know, like provide, you know, not just 
dead end jobs, not just the job that has no, 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 no forward looking, you know, people need to feel there's opportunity and, uh, at all levels of the organization. So I do think that's an incredible, that's an important principle, but I know like for Uber drivers or gig workers or there, or, you know, maybe if you're working in an Amazon warehouse or things like that, 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 that can be a harder thing to do. And I do feel like, I mean, this is stepping back on a slightly different level, but you know, there was an era in the emergence of the factory when we had to kind of figure out how to provide a living wage and a, high, a decent standard of living to factory workers, you know, and uh, and how we could do it. And that was a very monotonous way of a uh, job, but we had to kind of figure that out. And as a as a as a society, it took a few decades to do that in a way. And then in the you know at, in the post war era, you know, factory jobs actually became uh, pathways into, uh, you know, a somewhat of a middle-class life. And I figure this is a very different era. Uh, we have all these, uh, you know, kind of flexible gig workers and, you know, factory, like you're saying, there's all this, this rise of this whole new types of jobs. And I think we're going to have to figure out how we build a kind of a, a societal dignity and someone and, and, and a, and a, a leg up to a, a reasonable middle-class existence out of those kinds of jobs, you know, and I, and, and, you know, maybe in the past we did that, maybe labor unions were, were important in that. I don't know exactly the, the answer to that, I, but I, I have a feeling we haven't found the answer yet. <laughs> I don't know if I have the answer, but we need, it's something we should be concerned about as policymakers, you know. It's certainly a challenge, isn't it? Certainly a challenge. Now the, the book is, as I said, it's in three parts and, and the second part, yeah, is called mindset and strategy, and you talked a bit about yeah. mindset and the importance of mindset. Uh, one of the chapters in that section is called "Think Long Term," and it seems to me this is a very interesting challenge because uh, businesses have become, in one way, more and more driven by short-term results and quarterly numbers and fluctuating stock prices and that whole thing. And people used to say, well, without the short term, there is no long term. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're going to be conscious about it, it seems to me that part of that consciousness has to be where are we going in the long term? Yeah. So yeah. How, how, can we, how can we do that? How can we kind of keep going in the short term but not let that become the driver that leads us to all sorts of unfortunate choices? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the short term is part of the long term. So obviously, the short term is always important. But, but there is something about the financial markets, I think, today that are that that have driven a kind of quarterly thinking into the business community. That is, uh, you know, what have you done for me yesterday kind of thing that can it, it, it can it can privilege a kind of financial immediacy that can be disruptive to a long-term health of the business and ultimately hurts everyone, including the people who are looking, shareholders, including the people who are looking for better finances, right? So we, we have, so, you know, I, I think the, the short-term pressures are, are often present in business. The long-term pressures are not, a, not as obvious. And so we have to bring those to balance out the short-term, right? We have to, we have to awaken, uh, we have to make sure that the long-term health of the business is awake in our own leadership 
minds, you know? And if we don't, then we'll, we'll lose track of that. And even more so if you're a public company, even more so if you have the pressure of an activist shareholder or the pressure of quarterly earnings, you know? You have to be able to, uh, to think about the long term. So we talk about the, the demands of that, the pressures of that, and even more so in this kind of odd mix of things, which is that you have technology that is more and more disruptive. So even in even in industries that, you know, where the timelines of their investment cycles are 10, 15, 20 years, I think of like uh, the energy industry, which is thinking about 20, 25 years, you know, even industries like that, that uh, now are getting are they have to think in like five, 10 years, they can't. Who knows what's going to happen in 25 years in the in- energy industry is changing that fast. Technology is in is impacting more and more industries that even were once a little more conservative, a little more long-term. So it's that balance. As more and more of our attention gets focused on all these disruptive short, shorter and shorter-term effects, it's very important that we as leaders kind of maintain that long-term focus. And I just think that's that's critical. And, and uh, you know, if, if, if for all the things we've been talking about, um, they can't survive and thrive in a, in a, in a world in which we're just trying to, 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 to manage for the next quarter. Mm. So the third part of the book is called people and culture. And you're talking there about uh, evolving the team and revitalizing and, and all sorts of good things like that. And you introduced this idea of cultural intelligence, which it seems to me is a very, very intriguing part of the, uh, of the message of the book. Say a bit about that, please. Yeah, so cultural intelligence comes from uh, this uh, uh, integral, uh, an integral philosophy that both the other authors and myself were very interested in. And it has to do with understanding different cultural worldviews as part of, uh, as part of our uh, sort of, you know, template of, of intelligences. You know, we need cognitive intelligence. We need an emotional intelligence. We need a kind of a social intelligence for understanding social dynamics. But this is also understanding some of the cultural dynamics and the cultural intelligence. And in the appendix of the book, we, we walk through different worldviews uh, that people uh, can have and being aware of these worldviews that people inhabit. And as a leader is a very important and powerful thing. Uh, and, you know, worldviews, uh, you know, and, and it's like a different, it's like understanding that that people have different ways of making meaning. People have different sets of values that cohere together to make up the worldview that they come from. And they may be very different than yours as a leader. But if you can understand more about those values, you're able to meet the the needs and demands they want and understand where they're coming from in a different kind of way. And that cultural intelligence is very critical. But to do that, we have to understand the the values that inform these worldviews. And most people are very un- unaware of that. And this is a kind of a new way of thinking about, about, uh, about, about culture and about tri- you know, tribes, the tribes that make our worlds and the, and the way in which values uh, inform us. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting, it's a, complete, it's a new area. I don't think any, you know, no one in leadership, I don't think has written about this in quite the same way before. Um, so it's an important thing and it's something we, we care deeply about because for me, this insight into cultural intelligence, it's not just about business. It's also about politics. And we founded my co-authors and, and me founded the whole Institute to respond to the polarization in American politics around these, around, around cultural issues. 
And uh, so it's the same, same issue. How can we understand where the different values and worldviews that people have and inhabit? And it, once, we under, once we begin to understand that, how can we have an impact on people's lives and on keeping us from being each, at each other's throats? Because you know? what happens is, you know, I have a different worldview than you have a different worldview and that person has a different worldview. And instead of finding a way to kind of work together and, and take advantage of the strengths and weaknesses, you know, and, and avoid the weaknesses of each of those worldviews, we just, we just, we have at each other. We just, we, we fight endlessly and we, and we feel like you're wrong and you feel like I'm wrong. And we get into these tribal, you know, uh, tribal disagreements and that that's happening in, in, uh, in businesses too. I mean, one of the things that's happening in business today, I'll just as a, as a slight aside is that you're having a generation that's coming into the business world. Uh, Gen, I guess it's Gen Z now, um, that the next one after the millennials and they're dri- very driven by what we refer to in this as a, as a kind of a, postmodern progressive worldview. And it's a way of making sense of the world. It's a way of thinking about values in the world, right? And, and they're coming to the business communities and they're wanting the business communities to, to adhere to all of their values. And this is happening in the tech industry a lot, you see, and they're saying, no, we want all these things that are important to us. We want you to deal with. And they're very, they're very vocal about it. They're very strong about it. And they're not accepting a no for an answer. And how the leaders deal with this, how the leaders respond to this is really important because, um, and, and I think if you don't have that level of cultural intelligence, you tend to, it, it, you won't, it's very, it's, it's, it's much harder to know how to respond. You know, for someone like me, who's Gen X or a boomer, or even maybe an older millennial, like, how am I going to respond to this new worldview and new way of these new values that I've never had to respond to as a leader? And, uh, I think people made a lot of, I think business leaders have made a lot of mistakes in how they deal with that. And so I think that what we're trying to do is suggest that there's another way of looking at it that will help anyway. Fabulous. Thank you, Carter. So tell me, um, what are you working on right now? What's coming up next for you? Well, I am, uh, I'm doing some writing again. Uh, I'm working on, I've, I've been writing some columns, not writing a book at the moment. Uh, maybe eventually I will do that. But I've been writing columns. My the the uh, the institute I just mentioned that I co-founded ha- is publishing a or is is uh, uh, creating a new online media site. Uh, to and I've been writing columns for that site. Um, columns are more culturally and politically oriented, not so business oriented. Uh, but I've been, I've been working on that and it's got, it's got, it will be called the post progressive post. <laughs> okay. And it's about right. finding is it out, the kind is it of, out yet or, uh, not it out yet. It will be out in about a month. It'll be out in the, I think in the middle of June. So, yeah. So I've been writing for that, uh, writing some articles for that. Uh, but hopefully maybe by the fall, I'll be working on another book. And also I've been, uh, enjoying doing a podcast. Like you have a podcast. It's called thinking ahead. So people can always check out that podcast if they're interested in my work. Yes, that would be an excellent thing to do. So uh, we've been talking about Conscious Leadership, Elevating Humanity Through Business by John Mackey, Steve McIntosh, and Carter Phipps, who's been my guest today. Uh, and if you're interested to explore more about this, uh, uh, this, this integral worldview thing, I'd also recommend Carter's previous book, Evolutionaries, which is a really interesting, broad-ranging, and incredibly well-researched dive into a whole bunch of stuff in that area uh so so that if you're interested in that go for that but definitely look at conscious leadership 
Uh, it does a lot of things that it says on the tin, but it does them a bit more, I think, a bit more upfront and a bit more uh, uh, hard-edged almost. Hard-edged about soft stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> I like it's that. Really it's good. good. It's really refreshing. Hard-edged nice. about soft stuff. That's going to put down the back <laughs> of the book. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the book, uh, Conscious Leadership, uh, Elevating Humanity to Business, John Mackey, Steve McIntosh, and Carter Phipps, published by... Uh, portfolio a penguin which is an edition of penguin random house and carter it's been great to talk to you thanks so much for being our guest today on the entrepreneurship and leadership channel of new books network thanks mark it's lovely to reconnect it's great to see you again thank you 